Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This market has been shot. Round up the usual suspects. For the younger generation, I'm paraphrasing Captain Renault at the end of Casablanca as he kicks off the most disingenuous murder investigation in the history of film. On a day like today where the Dow tumbled 219 points, S&P lost 0.71%, and the NASDAQ declined 0.55%. Because of President Trump's decision to review tariffs on $200 billion worth of additional Chinese exports, I think about that iconic line spoken with perfect feigned ennui by Claude Rains because he might as well have been speaking about rounding up the usual suspects in this market. The scapegoats that get sold on every new flare-up in the trade war between the U.S. and China or Europe or Canada or really anyone. So let's go there. Let's see what suspects Captain Renault would have rounded up on both sides of the trade. First, it's become obvious that you sell Caterpillar and Boeing on trade fears. I'm shocked, shocked that there's still gambling going on with these two stocks, but it never ends. I've studied these companies closely, and I know that China needs Boeing more than Boeing needs China, although I feel very alone when I say that on a day like today. The demand for planes is just that great. You know what? In fact, I'm actually more worried about the continuing deterioration in revenue per seat mile for the U.S.-based airlines. Americans shaded down figures again today, in part because of sharply higher fuel costs, but also because of too much supply and not enough demand. Oh, that'll get you every time. Caterpillar is about construction, which means it is about China. But here's something no one seems to consider when they sell it down four bucks when the trade war heats up, and then, of course, buy it back up for when the coal, when the, the coals grow cold. Asia only represents about 20% of cat sales. Sure, that's enough to cut into the numbers. I know cat has plenty of competitors anxious to take its market share. But this stock is a quintessential usual suspects line that really shouldn't be jailed so quickly. If, like me, you think that we have a much stronger hand when dealing with China than the media would have you believe, then it might be worth holding on to CAD here. Sure, they can ban Caterpillar, but that seems unlikely. You get trade peace? I bet the stock jumps 10% the same day. Who else belongs to the usual suspects list? How about United Technologies with its Otis Elevator division, since China installs 600,000 elevators a year? Again, though, there's a gigantic number of Otis Elevators that have to be serviced that are already installed. Installed. Uh, That business business is not going away. Maybe the worst thing that ever happened to Honeywell was that former CEO Dave Cody said he developed a strong China business. Emerson's David Farr made a similar mistake when he came on this show and told us how robust his China business was recently. If Captain Renault ran a hedge fund, this would be like shooting fish in a barrel. Poor old 3M. Can't seem to get anything right lately. 
that did get China right, and therefore it's been arrested. Oh, and how about some uh, semiconductor stocks uh, that we should round up? Skyworks Solutions, uh, Micron, which always gets totaled whenever the trade war is back in the headlines because they make cell phone components. And the bears claim that China can turn off its demand for this stuff on a whim, something that's just a bold-faced lie. But who's going to bother with that? Thinking that through on daily today. Today's a today's dragnet, by the way, did spare a few stocks that had previously gotten ensnared in the trade uh, standoff. I like the banks, perhaps because the charges wouldn't stick. Three big banks report on Friday, and when they get a chance to defend themselves, I expect major sellers from worse. With J.P. Morgan returning $21 billion to shareholders, Citi buying back perhaps as much as 10% of its share count this year, or 250 million shares. That's right, just this year. Well, they seem to be a case of mistaken identity. I, I can't believe that Wells Fargo has been caught up in this proverbial gin joint. It's entirely domestic. Now, let's just say you win and isolate the companies that investors have identified as the anti-China trade, meaning they aren't, aren't snared by the crime of doing a lot of business in the greatest market in the world. Basically, we're talking about companies that are immune to prosecution. Maybe they have a diplomatic passport. Maybe they have papers so they can board a plane to Lisbon. Let's start with the obvious. When you hear that such and such is the Amazon of China or the Google of China or the Netflix of China or the Facebook of China, well, what can I say? You round them up and you call it FANG. These four companies don't do, uh, really don't do business in the People's Republic, either because they're banned or they're taking a stand on free speech or they don't want to take on local entrenched competitors. But you know what? Today we saw some unusual suspects join the list of winners. MasterCard and Visa. That's a one-two punch. It may be an unbeatable combination. You know, they're not allowed to do business in China, which makes them anti-China stocks. But get this. They're also the best way for the Chinese to show that they blinked. A simple call to A.J. Bonga over at MasterCard or Al Kelly over at Visa to tell him they are welcome to come in without a bogus joint venture might actually be enough to get President Trump to call off the trade dogs of war. That combination is why their stocks join the all-time high list on a day like today. What else? Somehow, Salesforce.com has become the anti-China cloud stock with less than 10% of its entire business in Asia. And a lot of that, by the way, is in Japan. Mark Benioff has emerged as the smart, defanged way to bet safely in an unsafe world. Play it again, Mark. Oh, and if you want to stick with the fabulous subscription theme that Netflix pioneered, you can go with China-free Spotify, the music service that everyone except me seems to want to avoid. That's the stock, not the service, because we all use the service. All right, maybe that's genuine Kramer hyperbole, but the stock did hit an all-time high today. Meanwhile, the cybersecurity stocks are back in style because investors figure that China will go back to its old predatory approach to hacking and cyber terrorism. Why not? I mean, that's why people bought Proofpoint in Palo Alto. And you know what? They're doing fabulously anyway. China's icing on cake. Now, just to deviate from the Casablanca theme for a moment, it's important to recognize that if stock markets matter, China's Shanghai Composite Index fell far more than the S&P 500 did today. These two averages have become a handicapper's delight. If you're trying to figure out who may actually be winning the trade war, even as many pundits will insist that nobody wins in a situation like this one, follow the stock markets. For those of you who can actually remember something that happened more than a couple of days ago, recall that in late August of 2015, the Shanghai Hangai Index took an 8% hit one day. Oh, man, that's a crash, which caused the Dow Jones average to open down 1,000 points, a mini crash directly related to fears that the Chinese market was collapsing under its own sordid weight. So remember that these tariffs are being reviewed, and if they're imposed, they're going to go into effect right around the anniversary of that repugnant event. Just a reminder that while you hear a lot about how we're a pitiful, helpless giant in the face of the PRC, thank you, Richard Nixon, 
Our stock market is much, much healthier than theirs. Whether or not that actually matters to the Chinese government, well, that's another question entirely. Here's the bottom line. This has become a market that's best played by Claude Rains and Humphrey Bogart, except it's not Casablanca. It's Shanghai that matters. Yep, we'll always have Shanghai. I say it's good to have both lists handy. The usual suspects that almost always seem to get crushed when the trade war heats up and the developing list of winners that avoided being crushed by the Shanghai Express. The most important movie I could find was Shanghai, actually, in the title. Don in Massachusetts. Don! How you doing, Jim? I am doing well. How about you? I'm doing great, thanks. Jim, I'd just like to give a quick shout-out to my fellow investors, Kevin and Bill, Bill, whom are astute followers of yours. Kevin and Bill, hey, how you doing, Chiefs? What's up? <laughs> okay, Jim, as you know, Marvell sells chips used in networking applications. To compete against juggernauts Broadcom, Qualcomm, and Intel, Marvell acquired Cavium. Ca- right, Cavium. Networks last year. Also, Marvell executives are promising an aggressive 150 to 175 million cost energy target right. in late 2019. But with, their, uh, with the escalating trade wars and all, I do have a major concern. Okay, what would that be, sir? Much of their revenue is generated from Chinese politically sensitive customers. Okay. ZTE, Alibaba, Micron, and Huawei. Okay. Jim, what are your thoughts on Marvell? Marvell is an incredibly well-run company. It used to be incredibly poorly run. I think that they're going to be able to navigate the way through this. The upside is capped, though, sir, right now, uh, as, as is uh, Micron, one of the other ones that you mentioned. How about Gary in New York, please? Gary. Hey, Jim, uh, calling about uh, Snap's potential partnership with Amazon. I think uh, Snap could be an awesome long-term investment. Can I give you my reasons? I think it's uh, I think it's one of the it's the only social media company right now with digital identification code embedded in their okay, app. Okay, yeah. If Amazon if Amazon can link their products via the Snap app, and if the next round of spectacles takes off, I think we'll see something revolutionary. Well, look, 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 you know, Snap. It's entirely possible that Snap your stock could go up a couple bucks on that. But remember, Amazon, by the way, is a six percent position for my travel trust. I talked about it on my conference call today for ActionLearnersPlus.com Club. Why not just go buy Amazon? I mean, Amazon price target twenty six hundred. I saw today. Uh, I just think they are doing their best in show. Let's don't buy buy best of breed, not worst of breed. Zachary in Virginia, Zachary. Hey Jim, it's my twenty seventh birthday today in Arlington, Virginia. Happy birthday. So I'm thinking about Square ticker symbol S. No, don't I've think about looking- Square. It's already moved too much. I want you to think about PayPal, which has moved a lot, but I think has more upside. Jack in Ohio, Jack. Hey, thanks for taking my call again, Jimmy. Good to have you. Back. Hey, I just started reading your uh, book, uh, Getting Back to Even, last night. Oh, wow. Still in, uh, still popular in many bookstores. What's up? Hey, Exxon. X-O-M. All right, look, if you're going to want to own big dogs, then I want you to own Chevron, not Exxon. Chevron has got far more growth than Exxon. It's doing a lot more that's right. I mean, I'm just, I know if you like Exxon, you want a big oil. So I'm going to give you the bigger oil that I think is doing the, the oil that's not as big as Exxon, but I think it's doing better. All right, you got your usual suspects when tariff news is at front and center. Jot them down. There are stocks that investors want to buy, and stocks that investors are just going to keep on selling. I say get that list handy. 
One man money tonight. Cloud King VMware is reigning supreme and outpacing its peers in the space. Could that strength continue? I'm checking out in with the COO to figure out what makes the stock tick. And it's not just its novel deal with Dell or its juicy special dividend. Then, could Canopy Growth smoke out its competition with its new acquisition of Haiku? I got the company's top brass. Maybe you'll crack open a cold one. And Bluestone is on the grind. I check out its heavenly rest stop with its CEO, and he spills the beans on what this company is up to. Stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. What's better than Mad Money? How about more Mad Money? Follow Mad Money on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to go one-on-one with Kramer. Reaction. What other questions do we have? Ah, I always tell people you've got to start with an index fund because I need you to be diversified. Get more with guests. How do you stay sharp? And go behind the scenes with the most interactive show on television. If you can't explain in three bullets why you're buying a certain stock. Don't buy it. Follow Mad Money today. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. Last week, the stock of VMware, one of my favorites, caught fire, surging from 147 to 162 in a single session. And while it's pulled back nine points since then, we need to address what's happened here. I like to call VMware one of the kings of the cloud because this cloud infrastructure and virtualization company has pioneered so much of the technology that makes data centers so useful. That's why it's been such a terrific performer. Over the last two and a half years, this stock has more than tripled. This is also a complicated story because VMware is a publicly traded subsidiary of Dell, and Dell is planning to come public again via a very complicated transaction. A lot of people were worried that VMware would end up getting subsumed into Dell. Investors didn't want that because this is a turbocharged growth story that deserves to stand on its own. So when we found out that VMware could get to keep its pseudo-independence, call it that, the stock word higher, even if the company does have to help Dell pay for its transaction with a one-time special dividend of $11 billion. All shareholders participate, though. Now that we don't need to worry about that Dell connection, you know what we're going to do? We're going to focus on the fabulous fund of metals. I'm just glad the stock has pulled back dramatically from its recent highs, down to more than 153 as of today. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Sanjay Poonin. He's the VMware Chief Operating Officer. Get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Poonin, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Sanjay. Yeah, Have a seat. Thank, thank you so much. much. All right, well, we're going to put this in context because there's too much talk about the arbitrage, which I'm actually not that interested in, and not enough talk about what you actually do. Computing is exploding from every corner of the world. It's inside. It's outside the office. There are challenges everywhere. We've got security risks, need to scale and support. I keep thinking that VMware is the company that, people, that other companies are turning to to figure this out. Yeah, that's right. You know, first off, software is revolutionizing the world, right? You look at the automotive industry, Tesla, banks, hospitals, even agriculture. 
So in that world of software, my mom's a doctor, so if I were to use an analogy, we started off with the heart, which is virtualization of the servers. That really pumps blood everywhere. Right. Uh, storage, maybe the lungs, the digestive systems, which store stuff, software-defined storage. Software-defined networking, the nervous system. And then the management and automation is your brain. All of those are what's inside a data center. When you could have the human body so connected that the heart, the lungs, the nervous system, the head are all working together, you get significant benefits. You lower the cost, you reduce complexity, you make it more energy saving, and you make your data center look like a cloud. We call it a private cloud. Right. And then we bridge that into the public cloud, cover it with an end user computing. Well, you, well, let's you right. bridge that, say, into Amazon Web Services, which Perfect. you have a special relationship with. Yeah, that's an example uh, of the way in which we can right. help companies bridge that journey. But it all starts with a software-defined everything story for infrastructure, compute, storage, networking. That's the heart, the lungs, the nervous system, the head of the data system. Okay, uh, you've traced a great uh, body uh, metaphor. What is the uh, metaphor of those who don't use VMware, the old way? I'd hate to say it's like having a transplant. Okay, we would like for all of it to be one unified right. system, but maybe the analogy doesn't completely fit there. But it could be we, much more expensive. It is a lot more expensive, and you have to cobble many of those components together. So let's just say you decide to use somebody else's software-defined storage. Okay. It's sort of like having a, maybe a lung transplant with the heart. So we prefer for it to all be one body that's basically nicely stitched together, um, and we get the benefits of many of those integrated components. We call that the software-defined data center. We've been investing, but we're very early. Many of these newer components, like storage, are only 40, uh, 14,000 customers of vSAN, only 4,500 customers of NSX. So we're very early in the development oh, of those businesses. Well, let's pick a customer everybody knows, Brooks Brothers. What do they need you for? They're retailer. Brooks Brothers is an awesome store. They are a networking customer. So come back to that Nova system. They've got 500 stores, obviously doing great things for suits for 200 years. I heard Abraham Lincoln had some of the, the Brooks Brothers suits. So you go way back to this, as they think about that 500 stores, they need a networking infrastructure that connects the data center to the branch and potentially the cloud. We call that the virtual cloud network. And VMware has pioneered this notion with NSX of a software-defined network that allows them to be extremely agile it sits on top of hardware networking capabilities, but provides a lot more security, a lot more agility, and allows their stores to be very, very nimble. Uh, we think this is going to be applicable to every company that has a data center, a branch, and a cloud. Well, for instance, the British Army, I'm thinking obviously about, about England uh, playing, playing football, but British Army uses you. Always, many of these, and this is why we've got a worldwide business. They're also a customer that's standardizing the data center. So many of these customers in many federal, commercial, mm -hmm. state and local, we've got a lot of these types of customers that are doing it. And, and these are both big customers and smaller customers, 500,000 customers. But we're very early in many of these customers using our newer products like NSX. I described 4,500 customers there, 14,000 customers of stores. So we think we've got a long runway. Okay, if it's early, how are you able to get the talent you need? Obviously, this is a specialized business. You've got to, I am sure, be uh, top of your game. And yet, top of your game, how do we know they don't go to Facebook? They don't go to uh, Alphabet. Silicon Valley is definitely a competitive place for job talent. Now, we are an enterprise software company. I think one of the best, uh, Fortune rated us one of the best companies to work for. So in enterprise talent, we can certainly get our pick. We're also investing in other locations uh, outside of Silicon Valley, like Atlanta. We've mm -hmm. got good locations in Bangalore and Beijing. But I think it starts with the culture. 
We want to build a great company, which is the best enterprise software infrastructure company, but we have to work really hard every day, Jim, to recruit and retain talent. Well, people understand that you do get a special shareholders, get that dividend from Dell, but they, is that, I mean, it is a complicated story. Listen, we focus on what we're good at, which is our customers. Even while all of this sort of cloud of uncertainty existed the last several months in our stock, there was no cloud of uncertainty around our customers and what they wanted us to do. They wanted us to bridge the private cloud to the public cloud. And we told all our employees, from engineers to sales reps, focus on the customer, focus on the partners. And that's what we did the last several quarters. While this might have been a little bit of a distraction, and the outcome we actually think now is a good outcome for all shareholders. The freestanding stock is going to represent the, the and future. And Michael Dell on your network said he's yes, proud sir. of VMware being an independent company. So oh. that's really good for all of us and our eco- ecosystem, where Dell's been very helpful to us, as is Amazon, but also certain Dell competitors. Okay, one last question. You recently got a very good award. You were the World Affairs Council Leadership Award, and that's for recognition of being a, a top immigrant who's made an impact on the U.S. Immigration's a real hot topic in this country. I, I just want to hear from you what uh, the future of it and what it could mean and what we need out in the valley and in the country from immigrants. Thank you for that, um, um, Jim. I, I'll tell you, my story is unique in the sense that I came here as an 18-year-old with $50 in my pocket. And to think that I had the opportunity to go to Ivy League schools, Dartmouth, Harvard, and Stanford, I'm blessed. My mom brought me up to say, work hard, and anything's possible. And I think that's what this country is capable of. I happen to live in the Silicon Valley. And, and my story is probably representative of many others, whether you're Indian or Chinese or European or African. This country is great when you can work hard and the dreams are possible. So I'm very grateful. My objective with that award is to really give my devoted life to making an impact in this country to other immigrants so they can also be inspired by that same story. Well, I'm going to leave it at that because I like that good positive note. We all need that. That's Sanjay Poonin. He's VMware Chief Operating Officer. You know VMW, VMware. It's a, dare I say, Kramer cloud pig. CCK. Everybody's back into the break. Nothing gets your portfolio high like the marijuana stocks. Had to. But to be totally blunt, I am worrying that maybe the easy money's been made here. Look at Canopy Growth, CGC. That's a diversified Canadian cannabis producer. This is the one that Constellation Brands bought a 10% stake in last fall with an option to potentially double its position if it wants to, which I view as the stock market equivalent of the good housekeeping seal of approval. Canada's going to fully legalize weed this October, which is one reason why the stock has totally caught fire. Get this, up 386% over the past six months. Uh, just don't inhale. But can Canopy keep climbing? I fear that with full legalization, the price of pot might come down. That's exactly what happened in Oregon and Colorado. Maybe I'm wrong, though. Canopy's clearly a believer. Just this morning, they acquired Haiku Brands, another diversified Canadian pot producer and retailer, for 269 million loonies. Uh, that's Canadian. A real sign of confidence. So let's take a closer look with Bruce Linton. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Canopy Growth Corporation. Learn more about this deal and figure out whether or not the upsides may be in the stock. I don't know. Mr. Linton, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Bruce. Have a seat. Me back. All right, help me, help me. What's been going on since I've seen you last? Well, I guess it was about uh, not quite two months ago, right? right. So uh, we were only listed in Canada. Now we're on the New York Stock Exchange, the very first for sure marijuana company on the New York Stock Exchange. Right. The good news is they let us on the exchange. The bad news is I'm not yet allowed to touch the bell. It's a thing. All right. Um, I think we traded about a quarter billion dollars in total value since I was on the show. Um, we listed uh, what was the first real convertible debenture in the market, so it right. became about a $600 million convert, uh, priced at 4.25. We have a right to retract after three years. 
and Constellation participated for about $200 million in that. Uh, that was very important because Rob Sands is a hard-nosed guy. So yeah. I think he told me, look, this is the way of the future. And I also think that for some degree, look, uh, liquid with marijuana is going to be a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think um, the level, you know, when we were here last time, we talked about disruption and pharmaceutical. Right. What happens after that is we announced that we have what's called a no objection letter, which means the regulator for Health Canada, FDA equivalent, mm -hmm. has said your ingredients are solid. Please begin your phase 2B clinical trial. So it's a real clinical trial where we'll run it, and it's running against the first indication, which is primary insomnia. But it leads to a whole bunch of other platform stuff, which can turn into intellectual property, which if the price of cannabis drops, right, if it became right. almost free, I don't really mind because what it is is an ingredient. And if I put that ingredient into a formulation and that formulation causes you to sleep better and I can take that into the 29 countries right. that are running it as a legal thing, that's big, big, big stop. So you're both, say, a refinery of it and also uh, now with this acquisition, yeah. a retail. Well, you have some yeah. retail yeah, already. Yeah. but Well, if you've got the choice for wholesale or retail and if right. you can do retail with the vertically integrated margins, I, I picture this like prohibition is actually ending in Canada. Okay. And what's going to happen is people are going to come in a store and they're going to have a lot of questions. And if we can run it more like it feels like you're in an Apple store, where it's overstaffed, but you move the margins up, the experience becomes the reason, guess who comes back to my store? And so what we really want to do is make sure that when we exit prohibition, it's elegant. We have about nine months of simple products. And in the second half of 2019, when we start putting beverages on the shelf with Constellation, that it just grabs market share. And Constellation doesn't have exposure much in Canada, right? Because they don't have brands up there. They don't right. have products. So we're kind of going in all in to take as much market share as we can. We just broke some news. So we'll go back to this. Constellation's going to be making, what, like Modelo and Corona? With no. Marijuana? So, like, in, in Canada, um, we are in the second half of 2019 going to be able to introduce a bunch of new products. Likely beverages, never guaranteed. But things that will allow us to compete better with the illicit market because part of the public policy isn't just to make it legal, it's to squeeze out the illegal. And so we expect we'll be able to make beverages, and those beverages will be no calorie. They will <laughs> cause you to feel upbeat. Um, we'll wait a second, wait a second. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about going into a bar yeah, and yeah. having, let's say, a spiked Modelo? No, we're talking about going into a bar and having a tweed and tonic. And it is something like a category creator, just like, what's a Red Bull? A Red Bull is a Red Bull. What's a tweed and tonic? It is its own standalone. And so this will be That's something. That's insane, man. Well, and listen, I know as we get older, it's really hard to find enough calories. Right. So if I'm pitching you on a zero-calorie option no, that is very, very light quantity. So at the end of the day, if you think about the active ingredients in creating a single right. beverage, it's not a lot of cannabis, which means if the price of cannabis actually falls, my margin increases. But now I called your website today, and yep. because you've got a new thing on your website, you just changed a lot of formulations, where you don't give the precise amount of THC. You give a range now. Yeah. I mean, is that like, I mean, THC to me is like the proof. I mean, like 86 proof, 100 yeah. proof. I mean, yeah. how do I know that, I mean, is it THC or is it cannabis plain that's in the liquid? So in the liquid, it'll be a combination of cannabinoids. Think of 70, 80 potential mixtures and we'll have three or four types. And what they're going to be targeting is, are you coming home uh, after a busy day and you want to relax? Or are you trying to gear up to go to a comedy club? I can get a six. What's that? Get a six-pack. Well, I think we're going to be able to see where it goes. But in Canada, what's happening is the disruptor happens 
when a real product hits the market in a really structured way and people can make lawful choices, do I want to fall asleep using Ambien or do I want to fall asleep through this one from the clinical trial from Canopy? Do I want to have a beverage that has alcohol or do I want to have a beverage with cannabis? Well, I'll tell you, that explains a lot about the market cap. And may mean, even though the stock is up a great deal, yeah. I could see why someone says, listen, I want to be in. Yeah. Canopy is my realistic Honest play. And we're in like now 11 countries, which right. all have way bigger populations than Canada. Think of Canada as the launch pad, intellectual property, and take it global. I am thinking about it. Take <laughs> well, uh, it. Get my family on a no fly list to Canada, though. <laughs> well, actually, maybe a fly list. That's Bruce Linton, Chairman CEO of Canopy Growth Corp. You learned a lot in that interview. I'm trying to process it myself. Mad Money is back into the break. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. You decided that the president's a complete failure, but you're going to put together this content. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> thank <laughs> you for that. Cold. How many more cold. people am I going to have to block on Twitter now? It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. On the go or on an easy Sunday morning, the tastes and vibes of Australia are brewed fresh closer to home. Will Bluestone Lane capture the culture that coffee lovers crave? Has premium coffee suddenly gone out of style? Judging by the recent performance of Starbucks, I mean, you may think this whole category is in trouble. You know what? I think that's the wrong takeaway. Believe it or not, of course, 25, 30 years ago, Starbucks was considered cool, hip. Now it's a massive international chain that still inspires. Uh, as much as I still love my triple vente cappuccino with skim wet, it's known as the Kramer, it's not the hot growth stock it once was. It's too big. And that's why, if you want to understand the future of the coffee business, you need to dig into smaller, privately held brands that really are resonating with the consumer. Companies like Bluestone Lane, the chain of Australian-inspired cafes and coffee shops, that's become insanely popular. And just today, the company raised a big slug of money from a venture capital firm, RSE Ventures, to double its store cap, go international. Earlier today, we had the chance to speak with Bluestone Lane founder and CEO Nicholas Stone and RSE Ventures CEO Matt Higgins at Bluestone's incredible Incredibly cool Upper East Side location. Take a look. Nick, it's a very big day. Last time I saw you was October of 2017. You only had 11 stores. Now you're 30. What will this investment do for your company? It's going to supercharge our growth. It's incredibly exciting. We can go to more U.S. cities and ultimately new countries. And we can also invest in our products business, our CPG business. So we're absolutely thrilled that that little dream of bringing Melbourne coffee culture, Australian coffee culture to the U.S. can be accelerated and thrilled to be partnering with Matt, Steve and the RSC team. All right. Well, Matt, how did you choose this investment? You've had a number of successful ones. This one stands out, I think, as perhaps maybe the fastest grower. Yeah, no, uh, well, we're looking for concepts that, you know, can scale, that are right. founder-driven, uh, that are millennial-focused, and that bring something special. And we've been looking at the coffee space for a long time. So what you said in October, right, when people start lining up for a block to pay for coffee and for food, uh, we take notice. Um, I spent a lot of time with Nick and looking at how he's building it, what he's bringing, Australian coffee culture. Didn't know anything about Australian culture. Who knew? But uh, it turns out it's a thing. And uh, there's a reason why they say Melbourne is the most livable city in the world. There's something special about it. And Nick has been exporting it. So um, to go from 11 to 30 units in basically eight months is pretty extraordinary. And there's no, there's no stopping Bluestone. All right. You are a finance guy who is in the coffee business. 
Uh, can you take it to, a, say, a double? Can you put up 60 stores? And how much capital did you, did you get, or at least what the company's valued at now? Well, we raised uh, $20 million, which can absolutely double the store count. You can with that. Uh, yeah. We'll I mean, that's very aggressive given the fact that a lot of places cost, say, a million, two million a store. Yeah, we've found, we found a unique way with our cost structure, and I think that's one of the benefits from being uh, a banker and working in finance for a decade is I can look at costs with a very prescriptive lens, and we focus absolutely every day in the brand, and we're lucky that we've got a concept that can generate cash quite early, and we continue to reinvest in the business, and that's the play for us. It's a, it's a long-term strategic view that we believe we can be probably achieve this concept of boutique at scale, 100 stores uh, within the next you know, three years. And, and Matt's a big believer in that. And that's why we've partnered together. Well, talk about this store, because to me, this is the kind of thing where this is not a $2 million unit store, but it could generate those kinds of economics. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, it does. It generates well in excess of $2 million. Um, this is a phenomenal partnership with the Church of Heavenly Rest and really very innovative to reposition one of their sort of stranded assets into a community sort of beacon. And it's been a phenomenal success. I remember we opened uh, with no press, no media, and the second day, uh, Architectural Digest picked it up because the editor walked in for a coffee. Uh, you didn't so, put, it wasn't promoted. No, no. I like that. And, right. that. and, you know, just saying his unique way of doing build-out basically means he drives to Home Depot with his uh, crew of team <laughs> and goes ahead and does it does it cheap. I think people tend to be way too precious, especially in the early stages, about build-out. Nick is laser-focused, probably because of his finance background, athlete discipline, laser-focused on doing the build-out in a way that uh, is as scalable as possible but doesn't overspend. And well, our viewers are laser-focused on money. I know that Blue <laughs> yeah, Bottle sold with, with 50 units, Blue Bottle sold for 500 I think it was 40 dollars. units at the time it actually sold. Oh, yeah, 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 40 well, units. Well, well, it went closed. Just, just but still, close. I mean, yeah. you're looking at a situation where if you put up that number of units and uh, let's say Nestle's comes along, I mean, a company that wants uh, you to incubate and then they buy, what do you do? I mean, you obviously want to run this company for a long time. Same time, we're in it to make money, right? Well, I think it's that balance, and it was one of the prime reasons we partnered with RSC, is that they're much more patient and long-term focused, and Steve and Matt, through their investments, have represented that. So I think there's been incredible activity in the space. Clearly, the millennial customer is more discerning. They've been conditioned to go to that third space, but now they want something more experiential, and that's what Bluestone offers. We've- well, but it, like, look, I don't mean to interrupt, but Howard Schultz for years said that Starbucks is the third place, and is experiential. Is this experiential squared? I mean, what happened? It, Howard paved the way for a lot of places. What's different about this if, if for people who haven't been to one? Well, you're exactly right. Howard Schultz did such a phenomenal job, and uh, I think Starbucks has been the greatest hospitality company that's ever been created, uh, honestly. But, you know, customers are looking for something different, particularly younger ones, and they're looking for healthier food, better quality service, better quality coffee and tea product. They're looking for more curated environments, places where they can escape. And that's what Bluestone's about. It's about providing ability for someone to disconnect in this rapidly increasing digital world. And we want to be that social community connection. And that's the way it is in Australia. Starbucks failed in Australia. It's the land of independence. And we want to bring more of that to the U.S. and beyond. Matt, talk about you could be in anything. Uh, Coffee, a lot of people felt, was saturated. Maybe this isn't coffee. 
Maybe yeah, it's something it else. Probably took me a little bit longer to get comfortable with it because that's the first reaction. It's such a crowded space, and everyone's kind of, when you look at it, it's actually not that much of a crowded space. For one thing, Starbucks led the way and created the whole concept of premium coffee, right? right. But when something has twenty-seven thousand units more than even McDonald's in the United States, it's hard to say that's premium. It's definitely scale and it's definitely successful, and it's but it's not premium. When you look at the coffee space. People are looking for that escape, but that, but it's not really defined. This blue bottle, there's La Cologne, right, there's a couple right. of concepts. What I think makes uh, what Nick's doing unique is just the degree to which he's able to build them out, the reception of people without any marketing, as you pointed out. He hasn't I'm, spent a dollar on marketing. No, I love that. And, 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 and the customers answer in the lines around the stores, you know, anywhere he builds them. Now, I, I, I live in Brooklyn. You've got a roastery there. Is that roast for the whole place? the chain? I mean, yeah. how's it? It does. Yeah, so we built a 10,000 square foot facility there, and it's a bakery as well. But yeah, we're roasting every day, and we actually had Christina Tozzi uh, from yeah. Milk Bar, which is another one of Matt's investments, uh, come through the space yesterday. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been an incredible journey. We have an unbelievable team, and, uh, you know, we're really, really excited about the next few years. Now, uh, look, shouldn't I be concerned at doubling of stores? How do you maintain quality? No, well, what's actually what's happening is we're attracting better operators and better talent. We've got through that little hump where we're still quite embryonic and risky, and I think with a partner and the validation that, that Matt and RSE bring, we can now grow, we can attract uh, talent that wants to incubate and grow this thing to 100, 200 units, and uh, that's really, really exciting. We've got more controls, we can govern the brand in a more prescriptive way, and we can ensure that that uniformity of product quality and taste is delivered to all stores, but most importantly, the service proposition's on point. Well, look, I'm really pulling for you guys. You're private. I could say that. I just, I love the coffee. I love the experience. And it really does work. That's Nick Stone. He's Bluestone Lane founder and Matt Higgins, RC Ventures co-founder, CEO. It is time! It's time to light up and And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round quiz. Let's go to Steve in South Dakota. Steve! Are we going tamer? We got a good tight end from South Dakota. What's up? Yeah, you do. You got a very good one from South Dakota. Um, just seeing what your take is on Cisco Systems. Uh, I see they're switching up their business model a bit and uh, doing some subscription stuff. I also see that they're facing some stiff, uh, pretty stiff competition. So, yeah, what's your take on them going forward? Thank you. Look, I think Cisco's driven. It's a very good article in the journal today about all the things that Chuck Robbins has done right, and I think people ought to read it. It was a 3% uh, yield, and don't forget the fact they were hurt by DRAM prices, which have come down, so therefore the margins are going to expand. Let's go to Josh in New York. Josh. Hey, Jim, big fan. How do you feel about uh, Herbalife heading higher? And uh, I think Herbalife, let's just say the easy money, although the hard money, if you were fighting at the time of reading Scott, if you're reading Scott Wapner's unbelievable book, you will know that the hard money turned out to look like, in retrospect, the easy money, because you're riding with Carl Icahn, but I think that the trade is done. I need to go to Richard in Colorado. Richard! Hey, Jim. Richard. I'm a great fan of yours. I've been retired for a year and I've learned a hell of a lot from you. Yes, that's what we want. We want to teach and educate. What's going on? I'm just curious about Under Armour, UAA. I like Under Armour. I think it's Matthew moved, and so did Under Armour, but I think there's more. And I remember we got a renewed and rejuvenated uh, Kevin Plank, and he's always welcome on the show. Now, how about we go to Daryl, New York. Daryl. Hey, Jim. How are you today? I am good. How about Uh, you? I'm great, thanks. I had a question regarding Axon Enterprises. 
Uh, I own it for my kids, and uh, I've tripled my investment. I've taken out my basics. Uh, it does worry me the uh, P.E. ratio, but where I, I read in many different places that this stock still has some room to run. And I agree, Daniel. Listen, you're playing with the house's money. When you play with the house's money, you got to let it run. I think that, look, we have been all we've been in all in with this one with Rick Smith. I mean, I'd say for, for a triple, and I'm not abandoning it because this is a company that's turned into a terrific ecosystem and software play. So I am not leaving the company that used to be known as Taser. And I ta- I'm going to tase bro anybody who's selling the stock. Let's go to Beverly in Massachusetts. Beverly. Hi, Jim. This is Beverly from Massachusetts calling again. Oh, good to have you, Beverly. What's going on? Lately, Seattle Genetics has been releasing encouraging data in the field of oncology. I bought Seattle Genetics on the most recent dip just prior to the last earnings. My question is, do you find Seattle Genetics worthy of an acquisition? Yes, you know what? And we got behind this thing a couple years ago when we went out there and met them in Seattle. And I've got to tell you, for a while, I really felt that I was just dead wrong. I'm glad to see that a lot of things that we talked about came to fruition. Hold on. Jeff in Texas. Jeff. Hey, Jim. Just wanted to know your thoughts on a Roku. You know what? I I got Roku wrong initially, and then I got on board after my kids told me, Dad, I mean, what are you doing? Roku. And Roku is real, and Roku, I thought that Amazon was going to wipe them out. That was incorrect. Amazon does not always destroy, even though we still call it the Death Star. Let's go to Susan in Maryland. Susan. Hi, Craig. You tonight, my dear. I want to ask about uh, Procter and Gamble. All my other stocks in my portfolio have gone up, but that one is down. Can you please enlighten me on that, Kramer? Okay. Well, I recently pulled up with Nelson Peltz, who's now on the board at a, a corporate governor's conference I ran for for the street. And you know what? I felt emboldened to think that this company is going to be doing the right thing, but it's not going to happen this quarter. I want you to wait for this quarter and then buy more if it goes back down to 75 because the yield is good. And I think that Nelson's going to shake things up and do a lot of things right to help out Mr. Taylor, who's a good guy. Let's go to Charles in California. Charles. Yes. Hello, Jim. Hey, what's going on? Fine. I'm uh, calling you about Bank of Nova Scotia. Oversold, well-run, terrific play on both Latin America and on Canada. I don't get this thing at all. It should not be down like this. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. President Trump caught a lot of flack today for claiming that Germany is captive to Russia because they pay billions of dollars to Moscow for natural gas. Rather than spending 2% of GDP on defense spending, as everyone in NATO has pledged to do, even if that pledge was technically non-binding. Maybe that wasn't the most diplomatic approach. Chancellor Merkel grew up in Soviet-controlled East Germany, so she probably wasn't thrilled. But I think we're looking at these comments all wrong. Sure, the president wants to withdraw America from its role as the world's policeman. And he absolutely has a point that Germany is extremely dependent on Russian natural natural gas, especially as they phase out more coal and nuclear plants. Although some might suggest that he should lay off these accusations until that uh, Mueller investigation is wrapped up. 
That said, I suspect that Trump is also playing the role of manufacturer in chief here, because if he can get our allies to spend more of their GDP on defense, those orders are going to go to companies like Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, and General Dynamics. It's so easy to placate the president by putting in an order for Raytheon's global Patriot solutions for missiles. Perhaps Trump would be happy with a huge order for Abrams tanks made by General Dynamics. Lockheed Martin's ready with as many F-35 joint strike fighters as Europe needs. We saw how important that plane is to Pratt & Whitney's division of United Technologies when we went to a plant that makes them a few years ago. It's not just ammunition, though. There's also an energy side to this equation. Trump wants Germany to wean itself off from Russian natural gas. How can they do that? By placing orders from North American liquefied natural gas, an export market that's really taking off because the fuel is so much cheaper here than in the rest of the world. I've been following this industry practically from its inception. I've long been a devotee of Sharif Suki, the man who virtually created this market when he founded Chenier Energy based on a vision that the U.S. would become a natural gas powerhouse because it has so much and it's in glut, and that we could build facilities here to export it to there. While he no longer runs Chenier, it's our nation's largest natural gas exporter, and it's become a major force, along with Dominion Energy, in supplying the world with liquefied natural gas. Suki, who's now chairman of Tellurian, a company with its own LNG ambitions, tells me that this trend is still in its infancy. Just today, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange announced that it will start quoting a Gulf Coast price to facilitate trading in the fuel. No kidding. Gulf Coast? This is where the plants are going up. Okay. And it's just red hot. It's only one issue. Even as we're flaring more natural gas than we use in this country, can you imagine? Even as we're now the world's lowest cost producer because we have so much of this stuff, all of the export facilities that we're looking at are either not built yet, not finished, or sold out if they are, mostly to Mexico, but also to South Korea and China. Yet the same China that we're so concerned has the upper hand in all those trade negotiations. As Suki told me, and I quote, the European players need to actively pursue U.S. opportunities to compete with Asian demand. Yep, I'm giving Germany a path to get out of the hostage situation. Just place a lot of orders with American LNG companies for the future, the ones that are currently building out plants so when they're done, Germany can actually legitimately wean itself off of Russia and onto Louisiana and Texas. Look, this show is not about geopolitics or geography, for that matter. Uh, you don't really care about my views on foreign policy. You come here to find out about stocks. So I mention this stuff only because there's a way to profit from the rhetoric, whether you agree with it or not. Uh, even if you think it's insane. I don't know whether Germany's willing to play ball, but if today's tough talk makes a difference, it will give these industries a boost. Either way, the American defense and liquefied natural gas stocks are worth owning here. I don't think you're coming to them too late. If anything, judging by the vociferous nature of our president's stride and tone this morning, it's still early. Stipulate. Remember, we rounded up the usual suspects that actually get bought now on China. Three that I want you to think about, Salesforce, Visa, and MasterCard, if they pull back, because they've become the new anti-China kings to go along with bang. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I am Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. 
apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.